the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. Going. Nice to meet you, Rob. Good to meet you. Well. You're in an office. I'm in. I'm hiding in a bedroom away from my kids upstairs, downstairs with iPads. Oh, that's so my home are. office. So I'm, I'm still home. There's a bed over here. You don't see the bed part. Ah, nice. <laughs> I like I like Barney in the back. <laughs> Thank you. Or whatever that is. It's uh, interchangeable. You can go, <laughs> go, you can go either way. My Does dad's a psychologist. That seems like something he would use. Does that puppet have a name? Uh, Mop, Moppy, Mebe. And my daughter likes to come in. She's got this whole backstory for it. Uh, she's it like fell in love, and then it was like left, and and she comes in and she changes the faces because it has like a whole all these expressions you can add uh, going along with the backstory. And I don't pay attention to it so much. And then I'll be on the call with the client, and they'll be like. What's going on with that creepy thing in the background? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's, it's having a good day. It fell out of love yesterday. I, I can't keep track. He's judging yeah. you. He's like, why is that judging me in the background? Yeah, exactly. So, you're definitely a conversation starter. No, Rob, do you need you an want... intro or are you good? Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like, we don't generally do a pretty big oh, intro okay. in any way. We just kind of like go in with the conversation. Um, but I am kind of curious, what do you want people to know about you? I mean, you're Rob Roseman. You're a great guy overall. I can say that, right? You and I became friends uh, back when Clubhouse became a thing. That's how we met. That's how I've you know, made a lot of friends. Um, Chev has heard a lot of those early conversations. Uh, Is Clubhouse Rob still going on or it faded out? It's like an AOL chat room, I think, right now. It's like, a, <laughs> that's kind of what it was, actually. It's like the it's 30 years later, AOL chat room. So I don't, right. I don't uh, know. If it, Sure ASL, going, is that what you guys were started with? ASL, no one tricked me, but we fell none in. Of the people, <laughs> none of the people I know or men on Clubhouse still use it right now. Very few people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. It was kind I of a pandemic baby. Yeah, I think so. Um, cool. But it, look, and this has been a wonderful friendship that's grown out of it. So that's a really good thing. Uh, Where are you located, Rob? Um, I am in Roswell, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. And uh, but I was Miami, Florida, born and raised, Chicago, working, Las Vegas. I uh, was a poker pro in Las Vegas for 11 years, and now I'm in Georgia. Um, moved because of the ex's career, or we were married at the time, but uh, so I've circled the globe. Got it. You guys are in LA, both of you? No, I'm in Boca, Florida. You're where? Florida. Whereabout? Boca. Boca Raton. Uh, my parents are uh, probably down the street from you. They're at Woodfield, so I'll be there. Uh, Yamato, Jog, all that Boca world. Yeah. I know it yeah. well. Not nice. far. Yeah, very cool. So, uh, Rob, you also, uh, well, as you said, you're ex, right? So you're divorced. Uh, and you're a Jewish guy, too. So you're kind of hitting both the points or the main points of the podcast title. Uh, and you're a project in the works. Uh, and so you're very appropriate for our conversation. Uh, you have uh, done an amazing job pooling resources uh, for people going through divorce. Uh, and, it, you know, it, and in addition to that, you've done a great job pooling resources for fathers as well, right? You've written this great book, Dad the Best, no, 
I'm going to say it wrong. What is it? Dad the best I can. You got it. Okay, Dad the best I can. Um, which started out as a podcast, and then you put it into a book? Yeah, I moved to Georgia, like, completely blind. I was a professional poker player and had to completely start over with the career. I said, how was I going to do it? Always been curious about podcasts. So I said, I'll launch my own. Maybe can network that way. Ended up interviewing my neighbors and friends that were dads. And then I was like, how can I level up with this? So I started uh, reaching out to like CEOs, people in the Atlanta area. Ended up getting uh, Jesse Itzler and some big names to come on the show. And uh, yeah, I would kind of just sit back, ask them about being a dad. Because I, I knew them from being these badass entrepreneurs and Mm -hmm. artists and things and yeah they just love talking about it so i that podcast had like a hundred interviews and i took those and kind of just repurposed them into a book with like dad tip one thing you would uh have done differently that kind of thing so yeah i just love the like conversations with other pe people that are going through the same thing and sharing that with you know it was dads at the time and now i've kind of uh taking a similar model into the divorce world. That's exactly right. I was about to say, it's essentially the same thing you're doing with WTF divorce in the sense that it's at its simplest tips for people going through this experience that they could potentially benefit from. Yeah. I mean, it's all based on, I mean, especially when I was a dad or am a dad, but it's very isolating. There's not much talked about, especially for men. Um, and then I found that 10 X when I got divorced is that there was no conversations going on. So you feel, I think the underlying theme of everything that WTF divorce does and dad the best I can to a degree, but especially with divorce is nobody knows what I'm going through. I, they don't get it. My family doesn't get it. You know, my married friends don't get it. Even some divorced friends, they're not in the same world. So just creating like a outlet where people can see that somebody else is going through what they're going through, even if they're not engaging with it or doing much just to be able to sit back on Instagram and watch uh, comments and things that they're thinking is, you know, selfishly, it was just very, it's very therapeutic for me just to feel less alone, because that's something I struggle with 50 times a day. It's just like, does anybody see this shit? Like, nobody gets it. You know, I'll talk to Noam about, you know, dating after divorce is a very complicated thing that we never talk gets. about that here. I mean, it's the juiciest topic there is, right? <laughs> no no yeah. one who watches our metrics always says, that's the most downloaded episodes. So <laughs> we need well, to talk right. more about dating. Yeah, I mean, it's good, too, to have, I think, a man and woman's perspective because we have no idea what's going on on the other side. I love to, like, I don't know if you've ever looked at Noam's apps to see, like, what women are like. And likewise, it's fascinating to see, like, the bar is low, man. This is where this is what's going on uh, in this world. It's it's right. wild. So I sometimes, when I'm I've been on and off the apps for years, but sometimes I'll I'll just send snapshots to my married friends or friends in relationships and maybe try a little harder in your. <laughs> <laughs> this is what's on the other side. Just a friendly PSA. Uh, here's what's going on here. I've got quite a funny collection. Remember, I live in Florida, so we get. We've got the eclectic oh, yes. kind, to, to put it kindly and mildly. And so I've come up with some funny pictures. Very funny. Yes. And then still... my friend who's in a relationship recently just said to me, she's like, okay, I know I got to keep him, but can you remind him of why he needs to keep me? So I switched to look at the women 
And I got to say, it's it's even a, across the board. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is that like grass is always greener because especially if you're in something that's not really good, you're like you idealize or romanticize what else is out there. And so you can't really get it. But I, I'm sure we've all had that experience. Like, no, I'm for sure of like when you're off the apps and like eventually, you know, you you like, all right, I'm going to give it another shot. You see, you've got you've got 37 unread messages of people waiting for you. And you're like, all right, screw it. I'm going to spend the thirty nine dollars. And like it's usually probably 1130 at night. It's usually when a <laughs> lot of this goes on. But like that moment of <laughs> like literally time. right when you click uh, subscribe and you, I go immediately like set the auto cancel because I don't want that thing to keep going. <laughs> but like idea. that excitement moment of like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to uncover all of these amazing women that want to talk to me to like the within three seconds you're just your chemicals plummet because you're like oh my god this is what's that this is this is not what i thought so it's that like hope and expectation and reality and they're just never aligned very true but I'm what still else off the apps by the way i don't mean to interject the conversation with my own thing but i'm still off the apps i'm just gonna say and it's wow. fucking awesome i'm impressed yeah that is that should be like its own little like cohort course, like how to stay off. I think it's like a it's like an, an AA meeting. It could be you need a sponsor. Yeah, I really do. I think we've discovered something here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zoom high five now. That's, that's <laughs> Tell us about why oh, it's you. awesome. Well, because it's just not a distraction. It's really not a distraction, uh, you know, and I just don't think about it. Do you find, uh, I know if you have them, it's so just like a phone, forget the apps, like the convenience of any boredom or anxiety, you could just pull out your phone and look sure. and somebody wants to talk to you. Sure. Oh, no, um, you look so cute. Tell me a little bit more that that fix. Did that take a little while to like, was it like withdrawals when you had to get off of it? Or were you like cold turkey? I'm good. I mean, I think I did it, uh, you know, in, in waves. I can't really recall anymore, to be honest with you, but uh, I I think I did it in waves because there were so many to go through, which was embarrassing in and own self. Uh, you know, like there were seven or eight apps to go through. And I was like, Jesus, I can't believe I was on that many apps. Like, that's just, I think, too many uh, for me. And uh, so I eliminated a couple at a time. Uh, and I think that made it easier. But I remember like feeling after I got past the first day that it was just, that was it. As long as I can mark the time, and I did mark the time, and that became like the accomplishment of it all. And do you meet? And so, are uh, you dating in the wild? Are you yeah, old school approaching women in the supermarket at the bars? What are what are, uh, what are you doing? Uh, well, no, my approach is even more let them approach me. I'm I'm just gonna yeah. Is that working? Yes, it is. Wow. Please tell us about a time you were out in the wild and a woman approached you. I mean, it's not like I go to bars and the women just show up and they say, hey, how you doing? That's not what I'm talking about. But someone approached me and I went out with them and it was and it is pretty wonderful. So that's good. There probably is something to the fact that you are less, you know, what do they say? Like when you're dating somebody, that's when people are more attracted to you because you don't have that that desperation, that neediness that you're always looking. No, I'm just like, I'm good. I'm good by myself. I don't need anything else. And that's attractive. I guess so. Yeah, I think it is in some way. It's interesting. Yeah. I talked to, uh, I've become... Maybe that's, 
sorry, Deidre, I, but maybe that's the problem I had earlier is that I was appearing too desperate because I was like so active in the process. Yeah. I mean, it is like a chemical addiction, I think on some level I've actually, I had a, I'm divorced now three years and uh first year was a little tense with my ex, but we've really like become friends again, which is kind of how we started. So it's like an interesting thing. And we'll talk about, she had a long relationship that ended and she's like, oh, it's rough. And then I had a long relationship that ended. So we kind of bonded over that. And it's interesting because again, like it's a little weird because she's my ex, but there's not too many people that I can talk to that have been in a post-divorce long-term relationship. And she'll even say, she's like, Rob, no offense, but it's harder than the divorce. And I was wow. like, oh, same to you. You know, it really is because it's, well, it's fresher sure. and it's just, and this person's still in your life. So it's like a different dynamic. But one thing she says, and everybody says, but it's easier said than done is like, you've really got to force yourself to be comfortable being single, being alone, not dating all the time. And personally for me, I look back and I'm like, that's a struggle for me. I don't think I've really ever, even into my 20s when I was single, I think there's always been some kind of relationship on some level. And I've been struggling with that post-divorce. And I imagine a lot of men in particular struggle with that. Um, so yeah, I think that's like a challenge that can be part of your uh, apps anonymous group where you can be like, like, how can you be? It seems like women are more comfortable with it. At least that's my anecdotal impression. I think because I think it's because they have more friends and friendships built in so they can get their connection that way. And men, at least for me, especially in a new city, it's like, well, my three married friends are busy. I guess I'm going to go on a date. And I know that's not the healthiest way, but it's uh, it's challenging. Do you think that has to do I... with sex, though, that men gravitate you know, to dating in that way because the connection they seek only comes through sex? No, I think that's like a, a bonus or maybe a sometimes byproduct. But a lot of times I really think it's like connection. If the sex comes, that's great. And there is the like uh, the chase, the hunt, like that's a nice built in like part of it. Like, oh, this is fun. It's a challenge. Also, they're not doing that with their guy friends. But for me and I imagine a lot of people, it's like they just lack uh, conversation, connection and after a divorce, that like rug gets pulled from you, especially for guys that have not cultivated those relationships or that they stay friends with the wife or I move out. And I think that's a just like a not talked about enough thing that it really affects a lot of guys. Yeah, we've, we've talked about that on the podcast. And I'm if, if I would give advice to anyone post in the middle of the divorce, it's you know, I know everybody needs to do their get on the apps right away and flirt and feel good about themselves and the distraction. But sometime not long after that alone time is so crucial just to know you can be alone because it gives you so much power and strength later on in choosing someone. I, I'm not going to be desperate. I'm not just going to take the first person that somewhat matches and, and is aligned. I can be alone and not, you know, settle or get back into old patterns. And that is, such a crucial step in that and so hard you know, yeah. like holding your phone and not doing the you up <laughs> you know right. it's, it's like ah, don't do it that's important i think that's not talked about enough too especially when you're on like social you hear people like you have to be alone you got to love yourself and it's like i roll my eyes at most of that it's kind of like dismissive to the that's not what i'm feeling like so i'm always and that's a big thing on wtf divorces like let's keep it real let's talk about 
this is brutally hard. You're going to slip up. You're going to make that dumb text. You might hook up with that person you know you shouldn't have, but like it's a process and that part of the process is like stepping in it sometimes. So I, I think that's helpful I'm to hear, especially from professionals and women that like we we aspire to like have that kind of that kind of just level that we're like, why are they why have they figured this out? But it's so hard for me. And I think to add to what you just said, it, it does, you don't have to love yourself. That's a super hard and very long process. You can hate yourself and be miserable, but just stay, just be alone, just suffer through it sometimes, you know, and maybe not every time, but once a, once, once a month, one Friday to, to like strengthen that muscle. It does not have to be about self-love, but just knowing that you, it's like you said, that addiction of I'm going to, I'm going to get my hit and I need it. And, and that is, it can be a dangerous a danger zone. So. It's also really difficult for people to be alone sometimes. Like I know people that cannot be alone. Often. Not, like they, but not even for five minutes, right? They need to be in a space with other people. So oh my gosh, can I share something? Yeah. So I matched with this guy who seemed like a great guy and we were having this whole conversation. And at one point I mentioned that, you know, being, I'm in Florida and I, I travel a lot for Florida. So I, I leave Florida as, as much as I can because I do not like living here. And I've recently started to try and stay put. And I don't have a lot of strong social networks set up here because I've, I've always been leaving. So my weekends when I don't have my kids can be very lonely. And I've recently shifted my mindset instead of, oh, this is so depressing, I'm alone, to this is my recharge for my alone time. I imagine at some point I be in a relationship again. and the biggest struggle is just time because I've got my kids during the week and then I like my alone time. So it's always like, ah, oh, you know, giving up my alone time. So I've been looking at these weekends as kind of refilling that gas tank. So I, I just mentioned it to him and he's like, for the record, I do not believe in alone time in relationships. <laughs> I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> and I was so, I have never- and shut Flat. down so quickly i'm like okay and then i asked them i'm like am i i know i'm biased because i tend to lean more towards alone time and i asked so many people am i crazy is it and he's like i don't believe that there should be any hobbies the only hobby that people should do alone in a relationship is reading and then i was like how about working out and he's like i hate working out and i'm like for real i'm done <laughs> And I was just so surprised. I, I've never heard of such a thing of you don't believe in alone time in relationships. Mm, yeah, um, that's, that's his wife so had an affair. Oh, and I'm like, yeah. maybe that's why she needed some alone time. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, what's interesting is, is, with that is like you can, we've all been through this, like, oh, this is so good. The banter is so great. This person just gets it. But you do have to like almost seek out those kind of little like bombs that they drop because now you're like, oh, like it's all this person's not for me, but sometimes, and I don't know if you guys had met and stuff too, but you can get into trouble when, you know, then you're hooking up and like, you don't uncover that until like maybe four months later. And now you're like, now it's a lot harder to get out of it. But yeah, I always say like, you almost have to be, I mean, I'm a former poker pro. So a lot of it's like what you're, you're dealing with incomplete information. You have to make a decision based on it like you uncovering that little piece just in random conversation is so valuable to you. And even though it's like, what a turn off and this person's done, now you can be, you can say no to this person and move on. And I think a lot of people like kind of are afraid to have those, 
that's not even an uncomfortable conversation, but like a conversation where you're going to get a piece of information that is very important to figuring out this is the person for you. It's, it's true. And, and there were so many positive matches between us, the things that aligned. And there had been other things that had been dropped kind of flags that I was more willing to ignore. I'm like, ah, but everything else is so great. And it was interesting to me that this was my, my red zone. I, I had, I never shut down as quickly as when he said that text, I was so done. Okay. This is, I, I, I this is a flag I cannot overlook. Well, did you, you, did you a favor. He was very, style. I want to know, um, did you ask him about his attachment style? I had earlier on, cause there were other things that had come up and I usually go to the parent, like, tell me what was your childhood like? And he did. He, <laughs> I think you can tell question. so much about, I know it's terrible. You can just tell so much about <laughs> what the relationship was. And he painted such an idyllic picture, which is always another red flag. Um, and he described his parents as such wonderful parents, which I think they could have been, but both of them had extremely traumatic upbringings. And so, it's strange to me. It was that was kind of one of those like, well, this is curious because it's strange to me that two people with extremely abandonment, like trauma, abuse childhoods, would partner with each other and without therapy or help or support, because it was what 50, 60 years ago, just be able to create an, emo an emotionally and mentally healthy home. Doesn't mean they weren't loving. And so that to me was like, hmm. I don't know, that was a little flag. But again, I didn't know enough. But he he definitely had a everything is perfect attitude. Well, and he made it more, obviously, he did kind of brush it, paint it with a nice brush. But he made it pretty obvious with that comment. A lot of people aren't as obvious. So you do have to be a little more like tuned in and attentive. He might have, what if he even said like, oh, yeah, sometimes I like being alone. But mostly I like being with my partner. You'd be like, okay, I get that. You wouldn't really know the extent of that. Um, so yeah, you do have to be kind of ruthless and really have like the, that red red flag alert up, which is so much easier said than done because nine out of the other 10 of those guys you're talking to, they don't even get to that point. So at some level, we're all just like, oh, this is fine. This is at least somebody, they're cute, they're charming, they're like all these things, let's just give it a go. And that's actually where you get in the most trouble. The The obvious no's are easier. I think people end up in these worse relationships or second marriages with people that are like, eh, they were, they were better than the rest. And at the same time, it's, it's so hard to know the sweet spot because when all of that is done through texting, a lot of nuance is lost. And the way I communicate and express myself might not be how the other person. And so I could be reading what they wrote and thinking something entirely different. So it's really hard to know is this an actual flag or am I misinterpreting or misunderstanding what they're saying? So basically we're screwed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's such a big point. That's that texting. Cause I, we all are like, ugh, the phone, nobody likes to pick up the phone anymore, but in a relationship, especially the beginning, we default to text. And I mean, this happened to me yesterday. It's just like, it is almost guaranteed to create like a different, that person's going to project a story then they're going to start spinning it. Then they're going to project it onto you. In reality, you're just like, okay. And they're like, well, okay, like that's it. You didn't give me a, you got me a thumbs up, not a heart. So I'm like really trying to practice almost like overtly, like 
if there's anything that needs to be said, not even super serious talk, but like, let's talk for three minutes on the phone, because I think text is like the, it accelerates the relationships or whatever they're called in the beginning, but it also like completely like erodes that they're not, they're not real. So I think that's like another harder thing about dating. Dating after divorce is much harder. Dating with the apps is hard. Dating with text as your main form of communication is hard. This is basically like like a lot harder than I think any generation has had to deal with like meeting people. So that's another piece of like this isolation is nobody dynamic. gets it. Yeah. It's a completely different dynamic. Right. Just in terms of, you know, what it does, how it consolidates people and it consolidates needs and interests and all that, and especially how it's a data gathering device ultimately. Right. It's it's a completely different dynamic. Yeah. So point being, like, find other people that get it and communicate with them, because I think that's like the the main piece is like you got you still got to find your community like and you got to find people that can like bounce ideas off of that are going through similar things. So, Rob, in your experience and in your podcast and interviews and building up these resources, I love the question of what what would you have done differently? Not as a form of regret or guilt, but just reflection on moving forward differently and also offering people who are in that space um, some advice of steer clear of. So what are some that you can share that really spoke to you or some of your own or that you've heard of would have done that differently? Mm, I'm trying, I'm thinking back about my own. Um, so well, there's, there's like the stages of divorce too. There's like the thinking about it stage. There's the doing it and getting through it, which, you know, I had a looking back pretty clean and amicable uh, divorce process. But yeah, I mean, there there's so many mistakes that you make. I don't think you can really you need to go through them yourself. But uh, I think the most important thing is finding seek out like a divorce sponsor, like you said, like somebody that gets it, uh, whether that's a divorce coach that I'd never heard of before until I was past mine. I think that in its, in itself is like, incredibly valuable just because you might not even know the questions to ask, but you need to find somebody else that gets it. That's not your lawyer because that's $500 an hour and they don't have the same <laughs> alignment. That's not your family because they have biases. Your ex sucks or you're going to find something like everything they say can be grading. That's not your married friends, uh, divorce friends. You know, I joined the divorce over 40 group and that was helpful because you met people that got it. But yeah, I would, I, if I could go back, I think I would tell anybody like invest in like three to five sessions with a divorce coach, um, just to like kind of hold your hand and set some expectations. Because if you don't, you're just going to have no idea what hits you. You're going to be, um, overwhelmed with everything. And even things as simple as like, uh, texting with your co-parent, like that's a whole, I always say like divorce doesn't really start until the papers are signed, like until it's done. So, you know, establishing communication skills, even though you can't control what they're, how they're going to respond, but like, here's my five scripts, my coach or somebody told me to write back when they inevitably do something that, that bothers you because you're, you're going to be so emotionally charged for that first year plus that like, you're going to spew out things that, you know, are going to like almost maybe intentionally like agitate the other person. And all it does is just create more. More, more turmoil. So just like 
talk to somebody that's been through it and have like kind of these these defaults that you can use just to like keep yourself kind of under control because you know it can I think you're always going to be triggered by things but like for me and I still have to remind myself if I can be affected for an hour instead of a day that's a huge win right or if something you know just really bothers me for a couple days but before it would be like weeks that's a big improvement so like be kind to yourself know you're going to slip up but like find ways to just turn the dial down of uh like losing your mind because you're going to lose your mind I'll, the other piece is like have some grace for yourself that first year is going to suck i think like in a lot of ways not not 100 percent, but i think a lot of us think we're done things are going to be good now and that disconnect between your expectation of reality versus what you're going through is is very like it fucks with your mind because you're like why am I, everybody's like i'm not with them anymore why aren't i happier so i think finding a way it sounds cynical but lower your expectations a little in the beginning will will be helpful for you is that the part where you lose your mind you think when reality meets expectations or absolutely or reality yeah. meets expectations well, and that's every conversation. So you get on the phone with your friend, like, oh, thank God you're done with them. Tell me about the apps. They're excited. Your family's like, you're going to meet somebody. So now there's this gap of like, they right. think I'm supposed to be here. I even think I'm supposed to be here. I'm not here. Right. So like the reality is you can't always get that that piece of where you are up, but like you can lower the other piece where, you know, I don't, maybe you don't share everything with everybody or you find different people to share it with. But I think that mental disconnect is like the cause of a lot of our uh pain which is not going to go away but um yeah like adjusting your expectations at least in the beginning is really important or this day is just going to suck i never would do that before i'd be like come on you can what are you? it's not toxic positivity but like so like what's wrong with me how about today you're just like today was just a shitty day you know like everything went wrong and and find a way to be kind of okay with that yeah when I work with couples who are on the brink or in a, in a bad marriage, I say that all the time. Divorce is not a magic eject button. You know, you might get there and you might choose to decide it's the best path, but recognize that it isn't this parachute out of this and everything's going to be okay and wonderful. Initially, I do think you definitely get there. But when pe you're right, people definitely have this. And, and especially when people have kids together, it's I, it's such a good reminder of this relationship doesn't ever end. In fact, the relationship is so much harder afterwards because you have no commitments to each other. You know, when you're married, there's this understanding that we're going to try and work together. We have some sort of partnership, even if it's not a good partnership. When you're divorced, the other person's like, well, I don't care what you want. <laughs> Why should I care what you want? And it's so much harder to work in, in that way. Um, so people do not realize that part of this person's not going anywhere for a very long time. And chances are like, while you're listening to the podcast and working on yourself and want the best for them and the kids, that other person, a lot of times has never even thought to do something like that. So that's frustrating too. Like, look at this book I read, let me send it to them. Maybe we can co-parent. They don't want anything to do with that. You know, it's, it's occasionally you'll find somebody that's on the same page, but usually it's like, they have no interest in improving. Maybe they're doing it just to continue to agitate you um, because they're they're just, look, it's probably a big reason why the marriage ended. One person wanted to do some work and growth. The other person didn't. And now, like you said, now you got to have this 
new relationship with them, you're not done. You know, usually an ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, you never talk to him again. That's such a weird, a weird thing that like I'm, I'm, all, I'm still baffled by. I'm like, this is just, it's nuts that we're expected to figure this out. I think this is all the ambiguous grief of it, though. Right, this is what it is to like have a relationship ended, and yet the person is still around. You can't enjoy the same spaces that you once enjoyed together because they remind you of so much pain. Which is different when someone actually dies, because at least you remember that person as a presence in your life. You can't do that when divorce or a breakup or anything like that. All mm -hmm. the stuff becomes a negative trigger, and so to go into it becomes a really confusing thing. I think. Yeah, very much. So. And what Sheva said before too. Uh... I think I, I have so much respect for anybody that's gone through divorce because I know how hard it is. And I think you know, talking about expectations, like staying in that unhealthy or mediocre, obviously, if it's abusive and terrible, that's a different story. But it's easier to stay in something than it is like your life almost definitely will get worse before it gets better when you're divorced. I think people like think it's just like, all right, I'm starting the up. It's like, you're actually going to go step in the valley because now you have to figure out these co-parenting dynamics. So you're like, I think that's why a lot of people stay in marriages because the uncertainty you're like staring over the cliff is like, no, I don't, I don't, I'll just, I know, I know how to, how he or she works. I'll just sleep in the basement and like, it'll be fine. The devil so, that you know. Yeah, exactly. So respect to anybody that's, that's done it because it's definitely harder in the short term. You know, and thinking about then how one has to adjust for divorce. There's got to be a lot of resentment. I know I felt resentment just in needing to kind of adjust to this life and finding it difficult at times and thinking about like, well, fuck that. If I wasn't divorced, then I wouldn't be in this position. It wouldn't be so difficult. Uh, and so there's got to be a lot of resentment amongst people in, in that way, right? That like when they do have to adjust in some way or accept something new uh, because of their divorce, that they're a little pissed off about it. Yeah. Resentment's a big, that's probably one of the most common feelings that I think everybody has gone through. And it's not going away. It's just, again, can I turn that dial from like a nine to a six? Because that might make your life a lot better. That's something I always, I don't know about you, but I'm just like, oh, that's self-hate. And like, oh, here I go again. Now I'm pissed off about this. So you're, it's like this vicious cycle when you take for granted that you're like, oh, maybe I'm doing a little bit better about this than I was three months ago. What so what is WTF divorce? What what is this resource that you have? So is everything that I you know, that feeling of like what the fuck? What now? Um, there was so much good content out there. Again, meeting people like Noam, especially hearing from men, but uh all of these topics, I was like, why is there not an easier way for people to find this stuff? Not everybody is on TikTok or Instagram, but even if they are. They've never heard of Michelle Dempsey or a lot of these people or that there's divorce coaches. So I thought, what if I could like aggregate it and find ways to showcase other people's coaching and do it in a way that's like also fun and relatable. So I think what a lot of uh, coaches, they're not social media marketers. That's not like what they what their job is, what they want to do. Um, so they're putting out a lot of good content, but a lot of times people are there aren't seeing it or it's getting just like repetitive. So I thought like, what if we could people come on these apps, Instagram to be distracted, to have fun. So what if we could kind of interject, you know, a little sugar with the medicine, you know? So like, if you want to find about co-parenting with the narcissist, that's a heavy topic, 
but what if we can also throw some like funny memes in about like when they you know when my co-parent sends me a text and blah 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 so giving people like an outlet was really my main goal i mean it was like selfishly again a way to help myself is like let me consume more of this content that is filling me up and then also a way to help professionals get their message and their their skills across to like a wider audience so i started it like a little over a year ago it's it started just like getting a lot of momentum and blowing up and now we've got you know sponsors like our friendly wizard like a lot of good resources that are kind of attaching this themselves to this uh, brand that end of the day is like i want to help uh, people that are going through it so that's like the mission of everything and if the way to do it is to give a lot of different voices and throw in some humor um, then it makes me feel good about uh, creating something to help other people. From your perspective, what do you think is the most needed resource for people when it comes to divorce? Um, I mean, for me, I always found that, uh, like I said before, after divorce is when a lot of the real work starts because especially assuming you have kids, I always, it sounds terrible, but I say like, if you don't have kids and you got divorced, I'm like, oh, sorry about the breakup with your boyfriend or girlfriend. I know that's insensitive to people, but like the process of having to uh, co-parent with somebody. So yeah, again, I think these coaches are an incredible, incredible resource. It's something that probably people might have rolled their eyes at before, life coach, divorce coach, and mainly out of ignorance. We just don't know uh, how much they can offer, but but yeah, just like uh, some working with somebody that, and even if you're not hiring them, but just like seeing their content and that could be dating, that could be co-parenting, like, like these tips, these kind of uh, better ways to communicate can save you so much pain and grief because even like something as simple as dating, which is where, you know, as a guy, that's what I first fell into is like divorce. Okay. Dating. Okay. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But dating can snowball, that can manifest itself into another problem when you're in another unhealthy relationship or like that's bleeding into your co-parenting or ex. So, um, so yeah, I just like, I think there's so much incredible content out there that is kind of hard to find. So just even passively start taking some of it in and I think it, it can be really helpful. I don't know if that answered your question, Noam, but you can dig in deeper if you have a specific example. Well, I, I guess I just wonder, I mean, you've done an amazing job bringing together any number of different voices and resources for people to simply peruse on social media, right? And you've also created a website as a result of it, which has produced also articles, right? It's not just memes. It's not just, right, um, brief TikTok, you know, pieces of advice. Um, they are larger articles there. So it has become a larger resource that you've created for people. And, and I guess... What I'm also wondering is then what's really lacking for people out there when they do get divorced? Well, and just going back on that, I think this also is why I love podcasts, because I think podcasts is a conversation of people just, you know, talking about what's yeah. really going on. So to be able to record something like that and then turn it into a blog post, turn it into short social media clips, it's ways to distill down, make information more accessible. So I think overall is i think people just need to be in these these conversations and i think like the fact that you can do it like as a fly on the wall 
um, mm. is so important. So I think, yeah, the biggest, the, I still think the biggest thing is like this, like feeling of isolation and how do you get back to having some kind of community and connection. And so, for a lot of people, that's easier. They're involved in their church or temple. They're involved. They have a group of friends, but I think a huge amount of people are completely like untethered. They're just floating in space and that can be dangerous for people, men especially. So I think a great way, you know, it's funny, we all roll our eyes about Instagram and social media. I did as well. I wasn't even on any of this, but like, it's a great, like dip your toe into a way to connect with people um, that really didn't exist before. So like, I think it's really helpful for people to have that kind of like outlet. And it's a great way to start with it instead of like, oh, I'm going to join this big uh, community or group, which I've done before. And those have blown up. But like, I'm like, huh, I feel better, though, when I look at like Noam's Instagram or when I listen to, you know, your guys podcast. So how can we how can we help people connect with uh, people they need to be hearing from? You know, I got to say, the normalization you're going for is odd because divorce is so common, right? That you think that like knowing that divorce happens so frequently uh, and the rate at which marriage ends in divorce as being so common and so regular that you wouldn't need a normalizing effect to go on and yet you do. Yeah, well, how many friends? I mean, you guys, what are the, it's 50-50, they say, but of, out of 10 friends, how many of your close friends are divorced? What percentage do you think that you communicate with uh, most frequently? Well, it's, it's a little different. It's a hard metric to measure because divorced people tend to attract divorced people. So looking at my life now, but right. honestly, one, you know, like what, if I look back 10 years ago, one, I got divorced with a friend. She was my accountability buddy. Not that many were, were divorced. In my kids' school, they're in a really big Jewish school. I think I have three kids. Only one of them has divorced another divorced kid in their class. So it isn't that common mm -hmm. um, in my circles. Yeah, I know there's different there's different demographics and yeah, and especially if it is becoming more common, it's probably happening earlier. I my kids are very young, so that's going to make the the numbers are going to skew less less common that way as well. But yeah, I mean, eighteen out of my twenty closest friends or pairings are are married. So again, it is like you said that normalization of something that is common. It's actually not common in the context of most people's lives. I think about the people I was in rabbinical school with when we were all getting married around that time together and having kids around the time together just because that's what the you know community and the feel was like and the culture. Um, almost 50% of us are divorced. What? That well, picked, is you guys interesting. Picked well. You guys weren't that good at the picking, huh? <laughs> they were busy. They they were well, they were focused on school <laughs> but here's also something that's very interesting too um the earlier part of our conversation when we were talking about the red flags that Sheva's date brought up right and now knowing not a date just yet just a match <laughs> we didn't get that level we both graduated to that level yet yeah she didn't spend the time with him actually she's so good mm -hmm. she spotted it before they even like went into the <laughs> yeah. real world sniffing yeah. it out 
like a bloodhound. Um, so in this conversation, which Sheva discovered these red flags with this guy, I think we're at a different point in our lives or maybe relationship wisdom and dating knowledge has also evolved to the point where these are larger concerns for us to be thinking about now when they weren't necessarily when we were younger. Because for whatever reason, this wasn't part of the natural culture of things to discuss or because we weren't wise enough to know that these were important things. But either way, it's not like this information that we've discussed earlier in the podcast that's really practical and useful was common knowledge or shared wisdom back when we were getting married. And a lot of what happened, I think, when we got married was primarily just based on faith, right? An idealized version of love without really knowing ourselves too much or our partners or what it takes to really build a relationship. And I think a lot of those relationships that are still going strong today, like People who got married straight out of college, I don't fucking get it, but it works for them, right? Um, that they've been married so long to each other and it works for them. I think there's a lot of faith there between the two of them that's pulling it together and making it work. Faith? Is that what you said? Yes, as opposed to wisdom about how to make a relationship work. Ooh. That's that could be the but I'm willing I'm, to- I, I might argue that. Fine, argue it. I'm, I'm, go ahead, because that's the only way I can rationalize it. So to sum Maybe up, what really you're saying is, too. I'm short the marriages that work are because there's more faith versus skills and knowledge and tools on how to make a relationship work. Correct the mundo. I'll and take what is this minutes. faith? I'll do it. Faith in marriage, faith in monogamy, faith in commitment, faith in God. What, what's the faith? I think faith in each other that they'll work it out. Isn't that a tool? Maybe. But it's a faith-based tool as opposed to um, a skill-based tool, right? Or a tool based on greater wisdom about who you are and who your partner is and what you bring to the relationship dynamic. So I hear what you're saying. But yes. The reason I argue is that I don't think all tools and skills are created equal. So I think that some people who do some work and self-awareness and um, think that they have tools, you might not have the right tools. Like I have a client who has done so much work. I mean, she she's more diagnosable, I guess, than some, and she's done so much self-work. She's done a lot of DBT, which is all about self-regulation, and 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 she really is good at stopping herself and distracting and getting her needs met. She's now in a relationship. Almost all of those skills don't apply because they're all about self. They're all about how do I get my needs met? And she keeps getting stuck in this rut of, He's not respecting my needs. I'm like, you're not respecting his. <laughs> you know, so um, these are skills. She's very skilled. They're not the right skills that she needs in a relationship. She needs a totally new skill set. Totally agree. Yeah. Well, and you usually don't have relationship skills unless you preceded that with individual skills. So I think it is like a level, you know, you hear all the time, like all these people do all the self-work. I'm ready. Guess what? You get in a relationship. That's all going to flare up again. Like you could do all, I mean, it's going to help you and hopefully you'll be able to spot like that they don't have it and then maybe they're not the right person. But um, 
Yeah, I think it is so much skills. And look, the other, it's cynical, but like 50% of marriages, we assume that because people are together, that 70-year-old couple that's been together forever, they could have a worse marriage than you do in your divorce. So it's like we equate like these people, how many times happens when you're like, oh my God, they got divorced? I'm shocked by it. Reality is like, we're, you know, 50% of marriages are working. I would imagine probably like, 10% of them are actually like really healthy and thriving. So we're, we feel so ostracized by like ours didn't work, ours failed. I think most are struggling in some ways. Maybe some people are just more content in that, that misery. Maybe some people are too afraid to, to get out there. It's why I also respect people that get divorced a lot because it takes a lot of you know, self-courage uh, to do it. But yeah, I think the while there is faith on some level, I think so much of it comes down to skills. And I don't think any of us are born with it or have it or have even like, I didn't know what boundaries were until like I was going to couples therapy and figuring it out. So like there's this new, sometimes I say, I think dating and all this is harder because before we didn't even know all these things. Now it's like, well, that's a red flag. Like what Sheva said about being alone, you know, 15 years ago, I would not have equated that with like oh that's, that's a red flag point. maybe we shouldn't be together but that's but that's my point and that a could be based on our own wisdom right and from the experience that we've had in divorce and the experience that you've had in dating right now right but that's because you've been through an experience that has provided that opportunity for you to think about that and i wonder if that's the same for couples who have been together for so long i could be completely wrong about that i'm willing to admit it at the same time, right, you and I both shared an interest, and I'm curious, you know, Sheva's thoughts about this, but the holistic psychologist, right, on Instagram wrote, how long people are married says nothing about the health of their marriage. Some people who can't stand to be in the same room spend decades together. Some live double lives. Some couples haven't had a real conversation in 25 years, right? Don't idealize longevity, right? Longevity doesn't tell the whole story. I think that I think there's enough said with that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, but that's my it's not like an earth shattering quote. Okay. <laughs> no, but I do. I actually, I do think it is earth shattering in some way. I mean, it's not okay. It, maybe it's not novel, but I certainly think it's not talked about. I think there's right. a certain honor that I have never looked at a couple and said, oh, wow, they've been together 30 years. That's what I want. I, the, when I've looked at a couple, I've seen an interaction that I like or, or something. It's not the, for, I mean, for me, maybe other people, it's not a number that, that seems like something I want to attain or achieve. I think for a lot of people, it's a real badge of honor. I think it's for, for a lot of people, it's a real badge of honor that, that, that they are working towards and they're willing to sit through a lot in order to attain it. Or do you, do you ever look at people that like, you know, oh, they're the old couple that like snipes at each other and like can't stand them. And it's like, yeah. oh, it is. It's cute. That's just the way they interact when in reality, like they go in a therapist's office. I would probably be like, you two should not be married. This is extremely unhealthy and toxic. So there is that. that and like, also some people enjoy that, like, or have become so attuned to it that that is actually a love language in some ways that they've come to know each other and know how to criticize and get at each other's nerves and they thrive off of it. It might mm -hmm. not be a healthy thing, but it's not necessarily they're in misery because of right. it. 
Well, we're going to have to have Rob back on again at some point to talk about this. Rob, I got to thank you, buddy. It's wonderful seeing you again, as always, and talking with you and sharing this stuff. Thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom, for your expertise, and for putting together the WTF Divorce Community and the Dad the Best I Can resources. Uh, they really are helpful tools for a lot of people going through very difficult um, and can be, you know, um, life beautifying experiences, but that's because, you know, people like you put resources together for them. Uh, so thank you for that, my friend. I really do appreciate it from my own personal perspective. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? Well, yes, thank you both. This is like my, I hadn't gone to a therapy session in a while. So this feels <laughs> like I just did. That's kind of why I go on. That's why I guest on podcasts and like, I need to have a good, a good talk. Uh, you can find me <laughs> Uh, at WTF Divorce on Instagram. We're on YouTube now, WTFDivorce.com. Again, we try to keep it real, keep it easy to remember. But if you're going through it, thinking about it, have friends that are going through it, if you send them there, we can connect you uh, with people like Noam that like you might not have discovered on your own. So I appreciate you guys for, you know, creating these conversations because they're very important. One person can listen to one podcast episode and it can change the entire trajectory of their divorce and their life after and that's really important thank you for coming on and sharing yeah. and no and where can we be reached we can be reached on social media at the jewish divorce project and also found on the world wide webs at the jewish and feel free to email us with questions comments concerns less concerns more comments hopefully at the Jewish Divorce Project at gmail.com. Mm -hmm.